It's Saturday, February 13th, and you're listening to Back Chat, where we break down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Gadigal land and pay our respects to elders past and present. I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. And I'm Chantelle Alkuri. First up, we speak to Chinese councillor Kun Huang about insensitive comments made by a Western Sydney mayor about Lunar New Year. After that, we speak to Myanmar Students Association Australia member Taya Myint Mo on Myanmar's military coup and how it affects Australian Burmese community. Finally, we talk about our undying love for all things Eshes. We're joined by Backchat producer and Eshes enthusiast Tanita Razagi to break down what makes them so lovable this Valentine's Day. And as always, we want to hear from you. Join in on the conversation and text us on 0409 945 945 or tweet us at Backchat FB. Fact chat. Text 0409-945-945. This week, Cumberland City Council Mayor Steve Christou came under fire for saying cultural celebrations like Lunar New Year or Diwali should not be paid for by taxpayers, calling it a politically correct move to do so. Dis- this is despite his council being the second most diverse in New South Wales. With Asian Australians already facing more discrimination around the pandemic, his comments have angered parts of his community. Cumberland City Councillor Kun Huang joins us now to discuss racism against Asian Australians and Mayor Christou's problematic comments. Thanks for coming on the show, Kun. Thanks for having me. So many local councils currently fund Lunar New Year celebrations for their community, but recently mm-hmm. Mayor of Cumberland said that Chinese diaspora should foot the bill. What are your thoughts on this? Well, firstly, uh, I just want to wish everyone who is listening in a happy and prosperous year of Ox. Um, in response to um, Mayor Christie's comment, well, Mayor Christie's comment is divisive and wrong. Lunar New Year may not be part of a Western cultural tradition, but definitely is part of Australian cultural tradition. Lunar New Year has been celebrating Australia for over 160 years. In my view, calling for council not to fund an event that is part of Australian cultural tradition and also loved by many of our fellow Australians is pretty un-Australian. And while our major role of the council set out in council's strategic plan is to organise significant cultural events that brings community together. Events like Lunar New Year, Diwali and Ramadan bring our community together. So um, how have his comments affected the Asian Australian community specifically? Well, the, the I've been getting, uh, i got a lot of feedback over the past few days regarding Mayor's comments. And people feel hurt and disappointed that a leader like Mayor Christou is openly out there spreading divisive comments like that. He also made some half-full comments against Hindus and Muslims. Has he ever expressed anything like this in the past? Have, have I ever ex- experienced anything like this in the past? Is that what you're asking? Sorry? Has he expressed those uh, um, opinions oh, I... on Hindus and Muslims in the past? Well, you know, there was one occasion where Mayor Christou couldn't get his bacon and egg roll and an athletics carnival. He went, actually went on to the 2GB and actually complained that's an Australian. 
and you know also in the comment that he made over the last weekend, he also says events like Diwali and Ramadan should not also should be funded by taxpayers because it's not part of the Western cultural events. So wow. yeah. Wow, interesting. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5. We're speaking with Western Sydney councillor Kun Huang on the Cumberland mayor's refusal to pay the bill for Lunar New Year. Uh, so, um, uh, councillor Huang, uh, why is mm-hmm. Lunar New Year so important to the community? Well, Lunar New Year is about celebrating a year of hard work and for families to come together to share their success and stories throughout the year. And it's also a celebration for a more prosperous and happy time ahead. For young people like myself, or maybe I was a bit younger, it's about watching dragon dances and fireworks. And it's a time where you'll be collecting your pocket money enough for the rest of the entire year. It's like a massive payday for young people and definitely the most important day in our calendar. And are Chinese Australians the only people that celebrate Lunar New Year? Absolutely no. Many other communities celebrate Lunar New Year. The Korean Australians, the Vietnamese Australian, and many other Southeast Asian Australian communities traditionally also celebrate this occasion. In recent years, we have seen more and more people celebrating Lunar New Year just by going to Chinese or Korean restaurants with friends, enjoying the delicious food and more. You also see other communities now are coming together to celebrate this important and fun occasion. Uh, so, for those upset by his comments, what can we do to make our voices heard? Well, I urge anyone who disagree with Mayor Christou's pattern divisive behaviour to write to all the councillors on Cumberland Council and express your views. State that this kind of behaviour is not acceptable and should not be tolerated. Also, the local government elections only 29 weeks to go, and if you live or own a property or has a business in the Cumberland local area, please go to the New South Wales Electoral Commission website and enrol to vote at the next council election. As a voter of Cumberland City Council, you have the power to decide whether this kind of behaviour shall be continued post 4th of September this year. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, It's been a pleasure having you on the show. No worries. Thanks for having me. That was Chinese councillor Kun Huang on Western Sydney Mayor's racist comments about the Lunar New Year. Stay tuned because we're feeling lovey-dovey up in the studio. This next song is from Newcastle starlet Fritz from her album Pastel, released just yesterday. This is Die Happily, Keep It Locked on FBI 94.5. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. Last week, Myanmar's military seized power after staging a coup. The country's former leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, along with other elected officials, have been detained and the military has declared a year-long state of emergency. The military disrupted TV, internet, phone and broadcast services. Now, thousands of demonstrators fill the streets in what began as peaceful protests. Joining us now is a member of Myanmar Students Association, Taya Mientmo, to discuss how the coup affects Myanmar's diaspora back here in Australia. Hi, Taya. Thanks for joining us. Hi. So what's happening in Myanmar following last week's military coup? So um, from the last week, the news I've been hearing is um, a lo- the, the whole country is doing civil disobedience movement. It is a revolution against what is happening, uh, the military coup. 
But the news I heard last night is that the military is releasing all the prisoners by all I mean around twenty thousand prisoners to the um to prisoners and um I have heard that at night the police are arresting people like kidnapping people so it is like the opposite of what should actually be the police should not be arresting kidnapping people at night night time and um mostly um there we there have been protests going on in the streets there have been civil disobedience movement there have been um informations online a lot of information online regarding what is happening right now So Myanmar was slowly transitioning into a democracy after decades of military control. What does the coup mean for the future of Myanmar? So we have talked to a lot of students, especially a lot of people under 25 um, and older as well. Um, Most of us are feeling like we have lost our future. This is mainly because um, personally I grew up under the military education system uh, and most of my grade school, um, all of us spent our time under the military education. And I can tell that we, our creativity and our vision are restricted a lot. We have been given the textbook and we, we are all forced to learn what they teach instead of like chasing what we want to learn, what we want to go after. So this military coup, what this means for especially the younger generation, is that we fear that such kind of information blackout is gonna, um, will happen again, which means that um, our generation will not have access to the correct information and we fear that we will not have the future that we all dream, we all anticipated. And you mentioned that you did grow up there. How are Myanmar's diaspora in Australia being affected? Um, in um, sorry, can you rephrase the question again? How are you being affected by what's going on over there? Yep. So most of the students in Australia and um, and um, business people, ambassadors, the first, the biggest problem, the biggest issue is loss of communication. So the military is cutting off internet and some form, most of the forms of communication. So we cannot really communicate with our families, our friends back in that country. And emotionally, that is hurting a lot of the students, ambassadors and workers outside the country. And um, financially, since the civil disobedience movements are happening and since there are protests, the banks cannot be really operating right now and we are having a lot of trouble regarding credit transfers. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5. We're speaking with Taya Mo from the Myanmar Students Association Australia about how the coup is affecting the diaspora in Australia. So, uh, Taya, you touched on education before. What do these events mean for Burmese international students here in Australia? Um, so, for the students here, m- most of us, we... We are not physically affected by what is happening right now, but emotionally, mentally, and financially, we are in a crisis. We cannot, if the internet is cut down again, we cannot communicate with the with our family. And um, in terms of education, we have talked to a lot of students who have who cannot concentrate on what 
on their studies because of what is happening back in the country. And a lot of us have goals and dreams back in the country, what we want to do after we, after we graduate. And this whole coup has put all of us, our plans into a disaster. And you attended the rally in Sydney last week. What were protesters calling for? We are calling for the immediate release of our state councillor and our president. We are calling for rejection of dictatorship. We are calling for the interim military to step down immediately. And we are calling for the military to respect human rights and to respect our freedom to express and our free will to protest. So what kind of support does uh, the Australian Burmese community need right now? Uh, in terms of support, um, we, since the administ- administrative processes in back in the country have mostly halted, visa extensions would be the most efficient help because a lot of us, we um, our visas are expiring, mostly students, and if we could expire, if we could extend our visas for a certain period of time, that would be very helpful. Um, in terms of financial support, um, we would we would say that the Australian universities, it would be very grateful since um, for, to help the students financially because since we cannot transfer credits at the moment, it the it is very hard to pay the uni fees in time. And what has been the reaction from the Australian community? The reactions... I'm sorry, can you rephrase the question again? Uh, what's been the reaction from the government and people at the protest who weren't from Myanmar? Um, we have gotten a lot of support from the government and we, we have been listening to the, uh, the, to the statements, the conferences and the security meetings in the um, held by the United Nations. Um, we are very grateful that Australia is strongly supporting us and we would love to, we would be really honoured for the higher authorities in, uh, in Australia to call out for the wrongdoings of the military, to stand for what is right and to not give in to dictatorship and to stand for what, uh, to stand for the constitutions to stand for democracy. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, Taya. Uh, that was Taya Mo, a member of the Myanmar Students Association Australia, talking to us about the military coup in Myanmar and how it affects its diaspora. Up next, we're talking to Backchat producer Tanita Rizagi about how essays get a bad rap and why we love them. But first, a song ahead of Valentine's Day. This is for all the sad boys out there. This is One Day I'll See by Noodle House. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. Before we get started on the next segment, we just got a text in on our previous segment about Myanmar's uh, military coup. It says, uh, flagging the Canberra protest yesterday in front of Parliament House where the Rohingya women seeking asylum spoke about recent events in Myanmar. Uh, It was really powerful stuff. Uh, We will tweet links about the developing situation there. So stay tuned on all of our socials. 
Now we're moving on to Eshes or Adlais, who've been copying a lot of heat recently. No, they haven't done anything to earn their new spotlight, but on a slow news day uh, last week, it had sent some parents into a spin. That's right. A Daily Telegraph article warning parents what signs they should look out for if their kid is allowed or not stated um, started a media panic that paints Eshe culture in a bad light. For Valentine's Day, we wanted to share the love and talk about why lads aren't so bad after all. Yep, on back. Backchat, we love Eshes. And to break down the hate and spread the love is Backchat producer Tanita Razagi from Liverpool, who's grown up around lads for the last decade. Hey, Tanita. Hey, thanks for having me. So to start off, what's the difference between Eshe and Adlai? Um, It's a bit of a subtle one, um, but I think the best way I could describe it is an Eshe is definitely a boy from the area, you know, um, and <laughs> It's a lot of, you know, a bit more area-inclusive, but definitely for the style. Um, so the best way I can describe it is, you know, on a Saturday night out, they've both gone out. The person on the Sunday cleaning their shoes with their kid is probably the lad. And, like, an Eshe is like, yeah, but what about it, cuz? <laughs> wow, you've really painted a picture for, the, for me right there. Um, so the Daily Telegraph describes Eshe's as being Australia's most despised subgroup. Is this fair? Um, definitely not. No, no, no. I think, you know, it's interesting because it's just, it really speaks to the person who's written that. Um, for me, I don't think that's the most despised subgroup. I would definitely say it's the person who asks you which side of the bridge you live on. (laughs) (laughs) And would you say, what would you say to conservative critics who say that lads are violent and dangerous? I think there's such little, like, lived experience of them actually, you know, being out in, you know, Western Sydney, which, you know, is, this article is really an attack on Western Sydney and its people and its community. And it's so based in, you know, classism in its approach. I just think from which experience are they speaking from? Is it lived experience of them growing up West? Is it an experience of someone they've had? And, yeah, I think it's more indicative of them. So lads are known for, you know, their puffer jackets, TNs, bum bags, which are out, which are like now all seen as very cool and on Depop and TikTok. How influential is Eshe clothing in fashion now? It's so influential and it's it's funny because things that were, you know, part of their culture and their sorry, subculture and their group, like bucket hats or bum bags. And now this, like, like you said, it's an Insta hype and you see people, like, appropriating it and looking so, like, fresh at, you know, music festivals and gigs and this and that. And But the same person that will wear it will cop so much slack, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think it's funny how, like, appropriation goes. And you see it for so many different groups and so many different cultures. And speaking of what a lad looks like, just how dated were those articles on how they're portrayed in 2021 oh bro so so outdated i think i think lad culture for like the way it was written it was really prolific in like 2006 to 2010 and like since then we've seen like a very like watered down version and like you said it's something that you like that style you see now is like very much of like the instagram like baddie culture but the purse, like the, the, um, the, it was prolific more in 2006 and 8. So 
it's funny, the same person I think that they're like kind of painting and like so scared of is probably just Johnny from accounting that they don't know is like paying their paychecks right now. But yeah, I just think it's it's not really relevant. It's it's not what it used to be. Johnny from accounting. That is hilarious. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Tanita. Really insightful not- stuff. I've learned a lot in this segment. <laughs> Not a problem. Thanks for having me, guys. That was Backchat producer Tanita Rizagi on why we love lads ahead of Valentine's Day. And that's all the time we have on the show this week. A big, massive thank you to our guests, Kun Huang, Tanita Rizagi, and Taya Mietmo. This episode of Backchat was brought to you by our producers, Charles Rushforth, Millie Roberts, and Vanessa Lim. We'll catch you next Saturday at 9.30am. Everyone's debating whether this last song is a meme or just a great bop. I think it's a great bop. It's Eshays by Sydney Youngins. Language warning on this one. Enjoy! Enjoy!